It's Thursday, October 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. GM and the United Auto Workers Union have finally struck a proposed agreement to end a month-long strike of about 46,000 GM union workers at 55 facilities in 10 states. One of the last sticking points had been commitments by GM to build vehicles at U.S. plants. Phoebe Wall-Howard, automotive reporter for the Detroit Free Press, joins us for how workers on the strike line feel about the latest developments. Next, Virgin Galactic has unveiled the jumpsuits that space tourists will be wearing on their flights to the edge of space. The new suits will be made by Under Armour and are included in the $250,000 price tag for the flight. Virgin Galactic is in the final testing stages and is planning flights for next year. Michael Sheets, space reporter at CNBC, joins us for more. Finally, more women are flocking to another industry primarily dominated by men, and they are coming for the equal pay. More women are becoming truck drivers because drivers are typically paid by the mile, per load, and by experience, not by gender. Christina Roca, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how many women are moving into trucking. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So when I was on the strike line covering that, I mean, you had grown men in tears and said that violated everything they believed in. But by contract, they had to do so. Joining us now is Phoebe Wall-Howard, automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Thanks for joining us, Phoebe. Hi, thank you. We're getting word that the United Auto Workers Union and General Motors have finally struck a proposed agreement to end the strike that's been going on. About 46,000 GM union workers have been on strike since September 16th at 55 GM facilities in about 10 states. Phoebe, what do we know about this proposed deal to hopefully end this now? We hear that the agreement will include pay raises, a ratification bonus of more than $9,000, promises by General Motors to invest several billion dollars in U.S. factories over the next four years, and most importantly, a path for temporary workers to become permanent. So they're the ones who work side by side, other workers for half the wage and few benefits. I had seen that temporary workers would become permanent after three years of uninterrupted work. I think that might have been shortened, that timeline. Though one of the other things that was a sticking point was product allocation commitments by GM to build vehicles in U.S. plants. And we know that there was about four plants in particular that production had slowed down or stopped altogether. Yes. In fact, we're hearing preliminary reports that as this unfolds, there are confidential discussions now. The local unions are getting word of when they'll get the small print, but that some products could possibly come back to the U.S. from other places. I think in particular, Detroit Hamtrak and Lordstown Assembly in Ohio were two where they were looking for different things to build there. One would be building an electric pickup truck. The other one would be building uh, battery cells. So that was what they were trying to get done in those. General Motors has to have flexibility. I mean, they have to be able to sell what they build. So I think they're doing a detailed analysis on this. And again, they've got some high profit stuff being built outside the U.S. And so they do have flexibility. But those discussions are very intense. And the UAW is optimistic. What are some of the costs that have been going around with this? Some reports are saying that GM was losing $450 million a week. I think they might have totaled so far been about $2 billion that they've lost. What do we know about how much this is costing everybody? 
Those are accurate ballpark figures. And yeah, well over a billion dollars. Obviously, this has hit workers. If you could imagine a full-time salary, if you're earning, let's say, $60,000 a year, you work full-time, and then you're going down to $275 a week. Obviously, that's a big drop. But the biggest issue that we're hearing is that local taxes and federal taxes have been hammered. So you've got states like Michigan, Ohio, Maryland, Texas, and others that are not getting tax revenue. That's the biggest impact here that people don't realize. So this is profits, this is tax revenue, and obviously local sales. So that's all being tallied right now and ongoing. This is a very serious 31-day strike, and its impact is being measured as we speak. So I've also heard that there's a big meeting where a lot of the heads are going to be deciding if they want to go through with this proposed plan. But even then, the strike might not end immediately. The union officers and regional directors need to get together and vote. Then factory level leaders need to vote and agree to all this stuff. So there still could be some time before all this is hammered out. In addition, you have janitorial workers for Aramark that actually do the work in GM plants in various locations. They went out on strike a day earlier, and these GM workers said, we will cross you once, we will not cross you again. So when I was on the strike line covering that, I mean, you had grown men in tears and said that violated everything they believed in, but by contract, they had to do so. So currently, they're talking about resolution for the strike affecting 46,000 General Motors workers, but there are others that are still out, and they have said they will not go back until that's resolved. So we're watching and waiting to see the janitorial workers. The plants actually cannot run without the cleanup staff. It's not like your school janitors, industrial janitorial, and heavy safety issues. Phoebe, you've been out on the picket lines with the workers themselves. As we're doing this interview, you stepped inside briefly just to do this with us. Thank you for that. Tell us what the workers themselves are feeling now. I know it's been a month that this strike has been going on. And how are they feeling about these proposed agreements now? Cautiously optimistic. The workers are saying that they really want this to happen. But the first thing they said to me, a number of them when I came out on the strike line, and there's very little press. So one union hall on this block represents five thousand workers. The one next door, 2,000, they're all right here. And what they've said is we will stay out through Thanksgiving. We will stay out till Christmas. We do not want to go back until we feel good about the proposal. They also feel like the top negotiator for the workers is a working man. They say that over and over again. He's not the kind of union leader that has a driver and all the things that you hear. He's a working man who believes in the priorities of these guys and these women. So in terms of the feeling out here, it's cold. It's rainy. There are huge 55-gallon drums filled with wood, and the smoke burns your eyes, and it's so cold. They're all gathered around, but they are out there. People are coming and buying diapers and dropping them off. The young families, that's temporary workers. So you have families taking their strike checks. a week. And they're stocking up on supplies for young families. I was out and they were doing giveaway boxes of food and potatoes and things like that. But the small businesses are delivering meals and the nurses from that local hospital are delivering coffee around the clock. Phoebe Wall Howard, automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We were lucky enough to decide about two and a half years ago when I met Kevin that Under Armour would be the perfect people to uh, build, create a spacesuit. We wanted it to be comfortable, flexible, 
strong, dealing with slightly colder weather and hotter weather. And we also wanted to be sexy and look good. Joining us now is Michael Sheets, space reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. There's always a lot of great space news going around right now, and it's heating up. And in the next coming years, there will be a lot more. One among a lot of space stories is this whole commercial space flights that are going to be happening. Virgin Galactic is one of the main companies behind this, and they just unveiled their new Under Armour spacesuits. I got to say, they look pretty cool. They look like jumpsuits, but uh, tell us a little bit more about them. They are a little bit like jumpsuits. They're spacesuits in the sense that they are suits that folks will wear as they take their trips to the edge of space. And it's actually uh, this collection that Virgin Galactic unveiled is actually the suit itself that people wear, and then a training suit, footwear, and then even a limited edition jacket. So there's a number of little pieces in this collection. Both Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, as well as Richard Branson, were really excited to show us the boots that they are wearing. They gave us a really cool close-up look at these crazy futuristic high-tech looking boots. And all of it together is made of uh, multiple different Under Armour technologies, some of them that they've developed specifically for Virgin Galactic, and then then we'll be rolling out to the rest of the Under Armour lines in the the coming years. The boots specifically do look pretty cool. They're slip-on boots. They said that the material used for those boots will show up in shoes for football players, but those boots do look cool. And the people that are going to be going up into space on Virgin Galactic, the tickets are about $250,000. These suits and the boots and everything is all rolled up into that price, right? This collection, although it was developed after the 600-some astronauts that have bought tickets so far, these will be included. These are all kind of pro bono as a part of the experience. Virgin Galactic really emphasizes a lot on these astronauts, even though the experience may last only a few minutes at the edge of space, that the entire training regimen, which lasts about three days, and then the flight experience itself, that it's all this really amazing, mind-blowing trip. Tell us about Under Armour's involvement in this. This is more of a commitment for them to performance sportswear, I guess. The partnership was unveiled back in January, but Kevin Plank explained to us that this suit was really to take some of their technologies. They had one that's called a salient yarn that helps muscles recover and uses infrared heat to recover more quickly after exercise. And they took some of their cold gear, reactor linings so that people stay warm, and really designed it all together as a part of monetizing this future of apparel technology. And as Under Armour is looking to compete against the likes of Nike and Adidas and Reebok, they really wanted to have something that made them set apart. So you can actually buy Virgin Galactic branded t-shirts on Under Armour's website already. And Kevin Plank, the CEO, was explaining to us that there's a lot more he expects to come out of it because they're certainly going to be using this for marketing at the least. And you got to love Sir Richard Branson in the ranks of other big guys like Elon Musk and just big personalities, all that stuff. You know, when he was talking about these suits, he says, every single person who goes into space will be delighted with it. I think the whole experience of going into space should be sexy. Our spaceships are sexy, yeah. our mothership is sexy, our spaceport is sexy, and and the suit is also sexy. So good on them for making these things. They do look great, and it's going to be a big to-do when they actually do go up into space. So this is all going to start next year. They hope they're doing a lot of final testing. Tell us a little bit about that. So during those last stages of testing, they have a couple last test flights 
that they're going to do. They just moved their operations from their testing facility in the Mojave Desert in California, and they're moving all of those operations down to the spaceport in New Mexico called Spaceport America, where they'll begin the commercial flights. So they want to make sure everything's set. They're going to do a couple last test flights. Richard Branson told me he's going to be on the first one. He hasn't told us, though, who's going with him. He said somebody, so it sounds like there's one person he specifically has in mind. But we'll be finding out more in, in the coming months as they get closer to beginning operations. And this is a company that looks to have tens of millions of dollars in revenue as soon as 2023. The company is going to go public in the coming weeks as a part of this new merger from Chamath Palabatia. And that's all going to be happening all at the same time. So it's a very busy company at this point. Finally, just tell us about the trip itself. I think there's about 600 people that have already paid and they're waiting for their opportunity to go up. They say that the whole trip's going to last about 90 minutes from takeoff to their gliding landing. But what are they going to expect once they take off and, and get back down? I spoke to the chief astronaut trainer, Beth Moses, about this earlier, and she explained her whole experience because she was the first passenger that they ever took up on one of these trips. And she explained how, you know, you're really strapped in. You're just kind of gliding along underneath just a normal jet-powered aircraft. And then the rocket ship is just dropped from that aircraft at about 40,000 feet. It fires up its motor. It accelerates to Mach 3, three times the speed of sound, and just goes straight vertical up into the sky. And it does this slow somersault in the air as it flips at the edge of space. And that's where you experience microgravity for about five to eight minutes or so, depending on how high it gets pushed. And they float out there for a little while and it does this backflip and comes back down. And like you said, just glides in for a landing, just like a normal aircraft. So like you said, that whole experience is about an hour and a half, but the real exciting, crazy part of the edge of the Earth's atmosphere is about five to eight minutes. Michael Sheets, space reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Oscar, for having me on. So typically, truckers are paid by the mile. Some other ways that they are paid are by the load. Sometimes they get paid by the hour. What all the women that we talked to said is that everyone sort of starts out at the same rate. Joining us now is Christina Roca, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Christina. Happy to join you. We're going to be talking about women in the workplace, and a lot of more women are flocking to an industry that generally they really weren't very present in, they still are very underrepresented in there, but trucking, a lot of women are starting to do the long haul trucking. And a lot of it has to do because of the equal pay. There really is no distinction between male or female. I mean, you're uh, driving by the mile or you're right. driving because of experience, things like that. So Christina, tell us a little bit more about this. So like you said, traditionally, we know it's been pretty male-dominated. And, you know, statistics show that while the share of women truckers has increased a little bit, it's still at 6.6%. So not that high. But yes, a lot more women have entered this workplace, actually, if you look at the statistics, 68% more since 2010. And yeah, a lot of it is vehicle pay. So typically, truckers are paid by the mile. Some other ways that they are paid are by the load. Sometimes they get paid by the hour. What all the women that we talked to said is that everyone sort of starts out at the same rate. And, you know, it very much has to do with the work that you put in, the miles or the hours, and your experience, of course. 
like one woman told us the steering wheel knows no gender. Tell us a little bit about those conversations you had with some of these women who have got into trucking. One of them said it tripled her salary. They're looking at it from that perspective. Like I said, I think one of the women you talked to, she worked in a, a convenience store or something like that, and then she went into trucking. So tell us a little bit about that. That woman in particular was so inspiring because she'd always sort of dreamed of that lifestyle. I think a lot of people maybe think about trucking and they think it's a very difficult life. You're always on the road. But, you know, she really enjoys the traveling. And so when she finally took the plunge, she completed the training. So she got her license. Then it turns out like not even was she, not only was she doing something that she loved, but that she was making so much more money. And she was really excited about that. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, she said she grew up watching her uncle be a long haul trucker. Mm -hmm. And then she thought it was like an extended camping trip. So the, what's happening right now yeah. is that the demand for transportation workers is really high. There was a lot of e-commerce business going on, uh, Amazon. There's products that need to be shipped all over the country and that we have a tight labor market. So we need a lot more people. The things that are helping women succeed and advance here, there's a lot of new technology and equipment that make it easier for everyone. So talk to us a little bit about that. Again, a job that stereotypically would have been done by a man, but a lot of things actually have changed in the industry. So drivers are no longer unloading the freight themselves. They're, they have assistance for that, so they don't have to do that. It's not as physically demanding. Trucks, of course, you know, technology evolves. They're more modern. So Expia, which is a really big transport and logistics company, they were telling us that now their trucks are fitted with a more modern transmission system, which means that you don't struggle as much to actually shift gears when you're in the cab. And it's all these small things that, I guess, not, not just for women, but for anyone, really, like, you know, it makes the job more accessible. There is always the concern of safety and, you know, you are driving long hours. You have to sometimes have to pull over and park at a truck stop, things like that. Talk about the safety concerns. Like you said, parking is a concern because it is a bit of a short squeeze for these long haul truckers. Sometimes they get to a truck stop and they have to find somewhere to park, to rest. And, you know, sometimes that's going to be the side of the road or they just have to keep on driving. And, you know, after a full day of driving, it's just not ideal. So things like that. And of course, you're sleeping in the back of your truck, sometimes in a lot full of other trucks. So I can understand that these women might have these concerns. There was a 2017 survey by yes. women in trucking that where female drivers said when they asked them how safe they felt at work, their average response mm -hmm was a 4.4 out of 10, so very low. I think one of the drivers even said her father, who was a trucker, taught her how to loop the seatbelt through the door handle and buckle it so the door can't be open from the outside. So there are little tricks to kind of manage when you're out there. But yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah. Just a, it's just an interesting look into uh, you know more women expanding into different parts where they you know, aren't traditionally there. You know, Trucking is male-dominated, but the tight labor market and the big thing, the equal pay part of it, is what's drawing a lot of women to there. So at the end of the day, it is one of the blue collar jobs that pays quite well. And I think that's, that's another thing that is attracting people. That's what we were told. If you compare it to like other blue collar jobs that are, you know, traditionally thought of as more female oriented, the pay is often much higher if, if you're driving a truck. Christina Roca, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.